0: Hello there. It's good to see you today. There's going to be a great sermon today that I'm so excited for you to hear. Um, It's going to continue our journey in the Gospel of John, and something that's been so fun is the perspectives that have been brought, the the depth um, that has been explored, and I'm excited to carry that on today. So following the sermon, there's going to be a conversation that's diving a bit deeper into things that are going to be shared. So, so following the sermon, hang around for that, and I'll see you there.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Mariana, and I have the joy to be here today sharing into this journey that we've been going together through the book of John and it's been such an exciting ride. Uh, And you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about John is that at the end of his book, he says, you know what guys, there is not enough room in this entire planet if we were to write down Every single story. If you really wanted to write everything down, there's not enough books and there's not enough space in this whole planet to hold all the stories of what Jesus has done. And I feel so much empathy with John right now because there's so much to be said about this passage. And I feel like I'm not going to do justice because there's so much. But this is why it's so exciting, is that the Word of God continues to speak. So this is not the end. This is just the beginning. And we'll continue to unpack the riches and the beauty and the depth that is found in this story forever. And the other thing that John does, too, is that he doesn't uh, get stuck on chronology. He works through Themes instead of timeline. And the story that we're going to be looking at today uh, is actually found in all the other gospels, but at the end of Jesus' ministry. This is actually a story that was the tipping point that caused people to come and uh, persecute Jesus and, and ultimately kill him. But John brings this story right up front in the beginning of Jesus, uh, at the narration, his narration of Jesus' ministry and why. And I want us to be attentive to that and find out what, what is it that John is trying to point out. Why did he pick this story? Because there's so many. There must be very intentional meaning that he's trying to do here. So here's the passage that, uh, where we're at today. It's John 2. Verse 13, let's read it together. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip of cords and drove them out of the temple courts, both sheep and and cattle he scattered the the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables to those who sold doves he said get these out of here stop turning my father's house into a market all right before we go into what is happening here let's let's discuss a little bit where this is happening because this is a very important part of the story. This whole story didn't happen out on the streets or at some random place. It happened in the temple courts. This was, was, there was, this was the house of the Lord, the temple, this, this sacred, sacred place uh, of worship. It's the place where mankind and God met. It was this beautiful, holy place. And I really, really like to start everything from the beginning because you see, this doesn't start here. God, from the beginning of times, He longed for this place where He could dwell together with mankind. And we see all the way back in the garden, that's what we see described there. It was this place where... God and people inhabited together and they shared this space together. And from the beginning, God's heart's desire is to be united with you and me, to be together with His children. Unfortunately, we know that sin got on the way and that reality didn't continue. But throughout Uh, the story of the Bible, we see that God creates these places, these special places where His presence would dwell. So then we see uh, the establishment, the creation of the tabernacle, and that was the place where it says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's where the presence of God was. God, in His pursuit of us, He creates places to be with us, and then after that, uh, there was this more permanent place, which was the temple. And that's where the presence of God was uh, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, we read again. And so the temple was this very, very unique symbol of the presence of God, the very presence of God with people it was this place where heaven and earth met it was just this this pocket of earth uh, of heaven and earth and uh there weren't multiple temples. This wasn't something that was found in every corner. There was just just this one temple. And in order for people to be in the presence of God, for this place of meeting, they had to sacrifice an animal. And uh, this pursuit of people then to access God and getting to the temple and bringing their sacrifices, it wasn't just, oh, it's a big deal. No, it's 100% essential for the relationship between God and people. And this is where we find our passage today. People were coming to Jerusalem. They were coming to the temple for Passover So they could present these sacrifices to the Lord, and they were coming in this uh, pursuit. They were coming in faithfulness. They were coming in obedience. They were coming in longing, and they were responding to God's invitation to be together with a yes. And some people journeyed from very far away. They were coming from all over the place uh, to be there. And um, the, the problem that happens here is these people were coming and they needed a pure sacrifice to be presented. But through their journey, they couldn't keep their animals pure. So this set up the context of the scene that we see here. In light of the context that people needed the sacrifice, we see these merchants that were local people that would offer these sacrifices very conveniently at the temple where people needed, but they would charge a lot more than the cost of those animals. And in addition to that, we see these money uh, changers because the currency in the temple was different different than the coin, uh, the Roman coin. So they had to exchange the money and it was also very high exchange fees. So it's this combination of factors that we suddenly see these group of people that are coming to celebrate the Lord, that are journeying to come to his presence, to this place of worship. And this bunch of people were taking advantage of that situation and exploiting and making money out of that. But here's what intrigues me. If you're out somewhere to buy something and it's just much more expensive, you know, the price is unfair. Normally, in a normal situation, what do you do? You just don't buy it. Except this is not at all what was the case here. What we see here is a bunch of people that would pay any cost. They just had to do it because they wanted to sacrifice to the Lord and there is no other choice. So these people were taking advantage of them, and the religious, the religious leaders were endorsing that. That was a culture that was approved and happening in the temple, and that made Jesus furious. This reminds me of a time where uh, I went to Brazil to visit my family. And, you know, I I usually spend so much time there that at the end, even though, of course, I love being there, but at the end, I'm just excited to be home. You know, at the end of the trip, you just want to be home. And then we traveled to uh, the airport in Rio because my hometown is three hours away, and it's this zigzag mountain ride that is exhausting everybody feels sick at that ride and by the time you get to the airport you are already exhausted and the actual trip hasn't even started and at that time I just had two of my boys and they're like one and three they're tiny and so Daniel and I and the boys we get to the check-in and then we realized we were informed that our flight was canceled and not delayed, not like wait a couple hours. No, it was, it was canceled. There's nothing. And we're like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? And the next possibility where we're going to go to Houston and then go to Denver, and the next possible option would be in another 24 hours. So we're sitting there like, oh, my gosh, I just want to be home and I look around next to me, there are all these people that were in the same place, my flight mates, desperate. There was this lady next to me that she was saying she was coming to her brother's wedding tomorrow, and 24 hours meant that she was missing altogether the whole point of her trip. And my kids being that little, and it was late at night, the flight would have been overnight overnight. And we were excited to just go into the plane and crash and it's bedtime for the kids. And so they're starting to get restless. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I would do anything, anything to go home. There has to be another option. So I started begging to the check-in lady. I said, please, there has to be something, anything, anything. And she, said, she gave me this look and she looked around. She said, don't tell anybody, but be cool. And she whispered and said, don't, don't look excited, but there's this one last flight that might fit one more family, but it's all the way across on the last terminal, on the last gate of the last terminal. And they're gonna leave in like 10 minutes. So we're not even telling anybody. And I can't ask them to stop, like they have to go. So if you want, you can race there and see if it works. And we're like, challenge accepted. We grabbed all of our belongings, all our awkward carry-ons with all that baby paraphernalia. And we were discreetly tiptoeing around the people so they wouldn't realize what was going on. And as soon as we turned the corner, we raced for our lives and we're running and running and sweating and exhausted. By that time, it was probably almost midnight after all the talking in the line. And I didn't have good walking shoes. I had sandals. My sandal ripped in the midst of all the running. Oh, because there's no train connecting the terminals. Okay. Here's us walking through literally racing miles through the entire polar opposite end of the airport. And we ran, 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 ran. And we got there. And the plane had left. And we're like, no, that's what our final hope to finally be home. And the kids are exhausted. And my shoe is broken. And all that heavy weight of carrying all that carry on around My heart was longing to just be at a place of rest. My heart was longing to arrive and to be home. And the lady said, well, now go to the, what's next now? And she said, go to the check, the customer service. And which, by the way, was all the way back to the place where we first started. And we had to go all the way back and stand for like two hours to see what flight there might be the next day or maybe two days. And we spent the night at that airport with our hearts just craving to do anything that we possibly could to be home. When your heart is in that place, you make any sacrifice, you run the miles, you carry the weight, you grab your kids, you break your shoes, you do whatever it takes when your heart is longing because there's something that you need, that you know that you need, you do whatever it takes for you to get it. And here are these people coming to the temple, vulnerable, longing, and willing to do whatever was needed so they could be in their father's house, so they could be home, so they could be with God. And they paid that price. They paid for that journey. They paid for what was needed because they wanted to offer their worship to the Lord. They had this place where they they wanted in. They wanted to be accepted. They wanted to be with God. That's how I see this story. When I enter this story, that's what I feel in my heart. This desperate desire in their hearts to just to be with God. And Jesus sees that. He sees the injustice. He sees their heart. He sees the system. He sees the uh, ugliness. He sees the exploitation. And he says, enough of this, enough of this, stop this. And he starts turning the tables because this is not okay. This has to end. Once and for all, this has to be over. And he publicly confronts those religious leaders and he he makes this, this mess in turning the tables and the coins flying in the air. Because even if there wasn't that exploitation happening and people taking advantage of the other there were just too many barriers separating people from god and jesus overturned those tables publicly because that whole system had to go down it was time and we're reading verse 17 It says, his disciples remembered that it's written, zeal for your house will consume me. This was a prophetic word from a psalm, a messianic psalm that talked about the Messiah being zealous for the house of the Lord. Jesus was zealous for this place where this one singular place where God and people would be together that special place of heaven and earth. And we see Jesus longing for that. That's the heart of his ministry. He teaches us to pray, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. He wants that reality to be uh, what we see in our lives, this place of encounter. And right after this, the religious leaders uh, question Jesus. And they say, uh, the, uh, the Jews then responded to him in verse 18. What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. John is actually the only gospel that brings this portion of the story. Okay, this is not in any other gospel. So attention, he's trying to say something here. (laughs) Jesus is is questioned and he makes huge statements. First of all, uh, Jesus stands firm on this confrontation and he says, take this whole thing down, destroy it. I'm making something new. This temple will no longer exist. Second, this is a very clear prophecy of his death and resurrection. He's referring to his body. I'll raise it in three days. He uh, is pointing to this reality that he would die and rise again. And third, uh, he didn't just say, destroy me and I will rise again. It wasn't just about a prophecy of his death and resurrection. He said, destroy this temple And the temple he was referring to was his body, which means that Jesus declares here one more, I am. He says, I am the temple. He says, destroy the temple and it will rise again. This was huge. He was saying that this whole thing points to me. I am the place where the presence of God dwells. I am the place where heaven and earth coexist. I am the sacrifice that will directly connect you to God. I am the way to the Father. This whole reality of the temple points to me. I am the temple. Jesus is ushering in a new era. This once contained presence of God is now open and accessible to everyone. The religious rituals would no longer be necessary. That one sacrifice would be performed once and for all. And the covenant between God and people is right here being rewritten by Jesus a covenant that had already been promised. We read in Jeremiah, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Jesus was opening up this new way to connect to the Father, a new way that nobody had ever experienced before, a new way home. And he says that he would do that in three days, which we learned last week that the three days is so packed with meanings. And I just want to bring two more stories because it's just too cool not to share. Uh, In God's pursuit of people, we see God calling Abraham. In the very beginning, God called him, made a covenant with Abraham, and he asks him to go and sacrifice his son. So Abraham goes in faith and in obedience. And when does that happen? We read in Genesis 22. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. That is the place where God had asked him to go. And that day was the third day. The day that God provides a lamb for that sacrifice to spare his son's life. On the third day, there was provision. There was sacrifice. There was covenant. There was life. You fast forward to the desert after God brought people out from slavery. Uh, God called Moses up to Mount Sinai to give the law and establish this covenant with this whole group of his people. And when does that happen? Exodus 19, on the morning of the third day. There was thunder and lightning with the thick cloud over the mountain. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. On this third day, God's presence came in in a cloud and God descended to the mountain, called Moses up and gave him the law and established a covenant with his people. Once again, the third day showing the pursuit, the covenant, the life, the relationship, the new identity, the new things that God was creating in pursuit of his people. It's the day that ushers in these new realities. And Jesus says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again. When? In three days. It's just so beautiful that this new covenant, this new reality, this new relationship, Jesus coming back to life, it didn't happen on the second, on the fourth or on the 10th day. It happens on the third day because Jesus is making all things new. And Jesus is giving them a hint of what's coming. Remember how this story is out of order. Could it be that John is setting the table here for the whole point of what Jesus' ministry is for? The whole point of who Jesus is. What is happening here right now is is that setting the table for us to pay attention what Jesus is doing the rest of the book. It's kind of like when you watch a movie and, and the movie starts with the end scene, and then you watch the rest of that movie in light with that filter of what you know what's going to happen at the end, and you're paying attention and you're listening closely and differently. Because John is bringing in the whole point of what Jesus is doing right away. I can almost see him just thinking like, I can't wait. I just have to tell you right away. And this also goes hand in hand with the other story that he just told about the wedding. Those two stories, they really complement each other in the same chapter. At the wedding, Jesus also confronts the old religious uh, rituals when he's transforming that sacrificial water into wine. And this is what he's doing now at the temple. The wedding also happened at the third day. And at the temple, Jesus turns these tables of injustice and religious systems. And at the wedding, he sets the table with the new transformed reality that he's bringing in. I love that, the setting of a table and the turning of the other table. And there is a prophecy that we won't have time to go in, but I just love that there's a prophecy uh, that the last temple would be greater than the first. And at the wedding... What Jesus creates, it's clearly spoken. This second reality was better than the first. These two stories are just amazing how they go together and they present this trailer of the great movie that we're about to watch of Jesus' ministry. Now, there's another word that I want to point out here uh, real quick, and that is the word uh, destroy. As I was meditating in this passage, you know, I was just really sitting in it and trying to ask Jesus, what do you what do you want to say about this? And it hit me that he doesn't just say I am creating something new. I'm raising in 3 days. I'm bringing a new covenant. It's not just about the new things that he's going to do, but it's also about destroying the old. It's also about letting go of what's behind. You can't enter the new things unless you let go of what was past. In order to experience the new, the old has to be destroyed. He says destroy this whole thing with so much passion. He says that because the same thing happens at the wedding. He didn't just create make he didn't make uh, wine appear out of nowhere he could he didn't he transformed something new he first got rid of what was old in order to create something new why because this is what we do, the more I reflected on it, how do we usually respond to things? how do we how do we handle new invitations? Are we usually like, "Oh, yeah, that's great. I have no idea what it's gonna be like but i'm I'm open to new experience. I trust everything uh. Blindly, no, we're suspicious. We don't know the new things are unknown. We don't know uh, what's coming. Are you sure? Is this gonna work? I, I'm just thinking back to these people back then when the news of Jesus was fresh. What a risk it was for them to take to suddenly stop bringing in their sacrifices. It's like, what? When the temple really was destroyed. How do I get to God? I don't know. That's a whole new reality. The old things are safe. They're familiar. I can navigate the old things with my eyes closed. But the new things, I'm not so sure. There's unknowns. And there's sometimes, the, sometimes we're pulled into the old things because they feel safer. This is so true in so many areas of our lives, not just in our relationship with God, but emotionally, physically, spiritually. There's this strange reality of uh, that pulls us back into old stuff, our old self, and old habits, and we're we're strangely attracted to um, these. Unhealthy relationships that should be gone or some weird relationship patterns or habits or, or lies that you know should have been destroyed and left behind a long time ago. But we keep welcoming them back in, sometimes intentionally or sometimes on autopilot because you revert back to the familiar and we do that even knowing that that's not a place of freedom, of life, of joy. Why? Why do we do that? Why do we have such a hard time letting go and allowing these things to get deeply rooted in us? I often find myself attached to um, old mindset patterns feeling the need of earning love and approval, whether it's from God or from people. Many of us are suffering because you're still holding on to maybe an offense that happened a long time ago. How many of us are not experiencing this identity of sons and daughters because we're holding tight to shame or feeling inadequate or undeserving or unworthy? And Jesus invites you to let go of the old, let go of that old mindset, let go of those habits. How many wounds have gone untreated in our hearts when we could instead face uh, these situations and release forgiveness or receive forgiveness uh, and destroy this power that keeps Hold on us. Destroy the old. And maybe God is bringing something to your heart right now. Maybe there's something very tangible that you're thinking about. Something that needs to die to give birth to the new. Something needs to die in order to new things, to come to life. I don't want to be held captive, and I don't want to linger and miss out on these new things that God wants to do in this relationship that I can have with my Father. Jesus has a zeal for God's house, for this place of encounter. And if you think about it today in this new covenant with Jesus, where is the place where God dwells? There's a new dwelling place, and we see in Ephesians 3, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now He dwells in our hearts. We are now the house of the Lord, the place that is sacred and beautiful, this place of encounter, and Jesus is zealous for His house, which means He's zealous for you. He's zealous for your heart. He cares about the things that are in your heart. He cares about these things that you might be carrying. He care carrying on. He cares about the things that might be uh, playing the role of tables that are standing in the way, creating barriers between you and God. He wants to turn those tables over. He's zealous of your heart. And his whole ministry, the whole point why he he came, was just so you could have access to the presence of God. But things are still in the way. What is in the way? What tables need to be turned over in our hearts? What things are standing between me and him today? He wants our hearts. And... As I was writing this message, I want to finish by just sharing this with you. I was studying so much about this because I, I love it. I was just having so much fun having all the commentaries and history and, and notes and all of that, um, you know, my love for history and literature. And that was becoming my focus as I was unpacking this message So much so that my time in the Word and my time with the Lord became so cerebral and sterile. And there was a lot of information, but not at all any transformation. I lost my heart in the process. I was drowning in a bunch of stuff. And I realized, I don't want to know stuff. I want to know God. Ironically, even studying the Bible (laughs) got in the way of me actually experiencing him. And I had to put all of this aside and just sit with him and say, God, I don't want to know more more commentaries or more opinions and more history. I want to know you. I want you. And that's what John said. That was the whole point why his book was written. So that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, we may have life in his name. So we may believe and encounter life. That's the point. That's the point. To come home. To come with our hearts Our hearts that have been longing all along. Our hearts that are just dying to be with God. And we're willing to do anything that it takes. God sees the longing in our hearts. And He has had that same longing from the beginning. Since the garden, His heart's desire to be with us. And we have this here, uh, this core desire to be whole to experience life and freedom and acceptance and purpose and value in sitting in the presence of God. Heaven came to earth. Jesus opened the way. And this is the place that we can dwell with Him today. This is the place where we belong, the tables are turned. Come in. The Father invites you in into this new creation, this new freedom, this new relationship with no barriers. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you that you are zealous of our hearts. And you want to take care of this place of encounter. Thank you for turning over tables. We want to present to you right now. Holy Spirit, all these things that you may be reminding us of that we want to passionately turn over just like you did passionately get rid of the old passionately break the barriers between us and you we long to experience your presence father Thank you for inviting us in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: All right, so it is our time to talk about the sermon. And um I'm glad that you had the opportunity to come out on the, the other side of the of the the academic, poetic, the big black hole that seems to be the <laughs> book of John that like that, like, brings you in and it spits you out on the other side someplace. But how did that f- feel?
1: <laughs> That's so funny. I love the imagery. I think, as I, as I said in the beginning, there's just so much to be said. There's just so much to be said. And uh, you have to, well, as far as sermon goes, you've got to pick a lane. And which which one you want to focus this time uh, but ultimately i was drowning in all these informations and things and it ultimately came to this place of how does this touch me yeah how is this speaking to me today yeah and yeah
0: i was i was thinking the same thing just hearing hearing this sermon and um, something that kind of got just uh, I you know t- talked about for a tiny bit is um, that the the whole turning of the tables happened during Pass Passover, mm-hmm. and um, and then t- talking about how people had to bring their sacrifices mm-hmm. and and um, and it's something I, I I didn't even think about, but just painting that picture of who was coming and. You know the importance of the temple, and that's like the, the only place that people can bring their sacrifices. And so everyone's bringing their sacrifices. Um, i something I just started thinking about is that the temple is the only time people can bring the or the only place that people mm-hmm. can bring that the, their sacrifices to atone for the sins of themselves and their entire f- family. Mm-hmm. And Passover is the only time mm-hmm. someone can bring sacrifices to atone yeah. for themselves. And so, so you have the only time and the only place, mm-hmm. and it's all converging. And, and this idea of atonement and the idea of encountering God, but then how the Old Testament is b- built... Depending on the types of sins that you and your family have, mm-hmm. the specific sacrifice mm-hmm. combos right. that have to happen, there's a prescription for that. And okay, so so, so sin is typically something that's very embarrassing, right? And so if there's a prescription for the types of sins that I
1: have. <laughs> so everybody knows.
0: <laughs> and you have your whole family that, that that they had to so i'm coming bearing the sins of my family and then i'm going up into the temple courts and saying i'm going to have a tov a cow some uh-huh. sheep i'm going to and and the amount of shame that is there in purchasing atonement and then the temple selling atonement and the like yeah and I was just thinking about the barrier and who is hearing these things. It, it, it is, so it isn't even the high priest that's hearing these things. It's these people selling. Uh-huh.
1: Random merchants.
0: And But the place that sacrifice comes from is the heart. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to get to a place that I was like, oh, my gosh. I was so, like, here are people having to pull out their heart and put it on the Here table yeah. and the people who are picking it apart, <laughs> they aren't even holy people. Yeah. They're exploiting the human right. heart. They're exploiting vulnerability to mm. earn a profit. You know, g- going into that thing that you talked about, That's, the heart is the temple of God. You know, deep. in the end, yeah, yeah, I was like, whoa. And and everyone's coming at the same time in the same place, hoping That's for right. atonement. And then the thing you said on the third day um, I, that the whole poetry from the beginning to the right. end of, of here's all the things that happened on the third day. And there's a ton of those throughout the whole Bible. It's just go have some fun and yeah. go pull up the third day. But if you do it in the opposite path, um, so instead of here's how to interpret the turning of the table, if the turning of the table is the point on the third day, then you have those going back. If he is turning the table on sacrifice and he's turning the table on the system of things, Abram, so God turned the table on his perception of who the gods are supposed to be. He turned the table on every other God asked for a human sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Abram probably expected to sacrifice his son. Mm -hmm. That hadn't been a shocker. That was a cultural experience. Mm -hmm. And God says, I do things differently Mm -hmm. here and turns the table right there. The whole calling to (laughs) Sinai. I mean, like the turning of the table. Um, I do things differently here. And for God himself to be Mm. in the thing that's supposed to be his house, Mm -hmm. turning the table, Mm -hmm. saying, I do things differently here. Destroy this. Mm. Um, I am just, the content that you brought, the whole airplane picture of going from the terminals and your family and the desire to go home and you're carrying your carry-ons. It's like, oh my gosh, is that the perfect picture of the human heart just dying to go home? Mm-hmm. And the vocabulary that, that you had of um, how, how Jesus was calling himself the temple and the, the, the I am thing and like mm-hmm. he is the place beyond mm-hmm. he is the person. Yeah. He is the place that heaven and earth collide. He is divine. He is human. He is the the hundred mm-hmm. percent in him is the holies of holies.
1: Yeah. That's Ugh. so good. No, I love and I mean this. So this is one out of 15 conversations that we've had about this. This particular and it, one was recorded. It, it, it's and always it's changing and evolving, th- right? Because they're all different. There are always a million things and it's beautiful and it's profound and it's, oh my gosh. And but
0: that's the I, joy of the gospel of John. Oh, like, absolutely. This should 100%. happen in your yeah. groups at home and your cars and that...
1: And here's the thing, as I'm like overloading my, you know, brain with insights and all of this. And I mean, it's amazing. It's awesome. And I went to say, Michael Brimer prayed for me to wake up and have a a word. I don't know if you remember that. I have a dream. I woke up a couple of nights ago with this uh, uh, memory of the airport.
0: Hmm.
1: It was just almost like. There's this whole thing, and then I woke up in a mil- in the middle of the night, and it's almost God. Like, remember this moment? Mm. Yes. Yeah. That heart, that feeling, and 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 that's that's the point of how does this, this whole thing connect with our hearts? Because otherwise, it's it's knowledge. It's like, oh, that's incredible. The Bible is really cool. Yeah. It's like, no, no, that's not the point.
0: Right absolutely I, I, I gotta say like thank you uh, for the time you spent on this um it, it's, so it's so it's hard to kind of like talk about you know like to people who haven't been there but to 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 be able to experience a part of the bible and to have it just to invade everything that you are and it's all you can think about.
1: Yeah.
0: And then it causes you to feel that (laughs) big and you're insecure. You don't know who am I, what am I doing, and the journey it takes to come to a place that's like, I think I got something to say. Mm. It is like a hard painful journey to get there <laughs> and so on behalf uh, uh, it, it, is. It, 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 it is So it's like the end of the, that airport experience it's you are coming to the pulpit exhausted and saying I hope the plane hasn't gone yet because uh-huh. it, it, I got something yeah and so so I'm just I affirm you, I see it. It was it was hard and it was good and the payoff, mm. it's gonna bless a ton of people. So thank mm. you.
1: Well thank you for all the insights Hit too. the rock. And you guys keep 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 on it because there's keep it a going. Lot. This
0: is fun. Okay, our time has come to the to the end. So thank you for be- being here and for being a part of this.